praise for them again. And we thank them for their dedication and their willingness to be used as instruments for God's glory. Let me draw your attention today to the Gospel of Mark, again, chapter 9. And I want to begin reading at verse 17, and I will conclude at verse 22. Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I bought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grits his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. A few weeks ago, as I launched this series of sermons under the general theme of wanting to do better as an individual, and I chose this passage of Mark chapter 9 as our departing point because the man, the father, the unnamed father in Mark 9 represents the quest to do better, but further to intercede on behalf of another whom he desires to do better as well. You remember when I read this narrative at the first outset that the man at least was honest enough to tell Jesus, I have belief, but yet I still need your help with my unbelief. There was a willingness in the man to step out from the crowd and to step forward. And now I want to highlight in the stepping forward episode, the man further very well could not only be stepping forward, obviously, for the son, but he also could be stepping forward on behalf of his own self because he like the son, is wrestling with a malady, except the malady of the son is demonic, and that in his own life may very well be demonic or could be influenced 
by some other spiritual challenge. I want to lift up this whole conversation about demonology because it's prevalent in the gospel narratives according to the context to which Jesus ministered. And I must admit that Merrill Unger, the Old Testament scholar, provides what I think one of the best hermeneutical grasp in understanding biblical demonology. For Dr. Unger says, one of our problems as Christians is that we have been deceived into thinking that demons don't exist. But they not only exist, but they serve the purpose of satanic force by creating interference and interjecting confusion in the lives of believers to disfigure, to disconnect, and to discourage the believer in the God of their salvation. And if we were honest, I would believe that we would have to admit that there perhaps was a time, I hope it still doesn't exist, but there was a time in which we thought that demons perhaps distinct or no longer exist because of the fall of Satan. But might I make you aware that it's the fall of Satan along with fallen angels that makes demons alive and well. One has to wrestle with the prayer that Jesus teaches the disciples in Matthew 5 and at least three of the lines that raises a question for me as to why Jesus pointed out these three things that seem to be prevalent in the human history, or should I better say, in human experience. His prayer was, when you pray, pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Could we might have the suspicion that Jesus already knew that there would not just be the, the physical hunger that would challenge us, particularly if we are in a geographical region that doesn't have the consistency or the abundance of bread, but could he also be suggesting that he knows that there is a spiritual hunger that we might experience as well, and there will need to be the quest to ask God to provide what's needed because there are leeches by way of demonic presence eating away at that which we have. And so we have to lift up the prayer, Lord, give us, and notice, it doesn't appear to be a one-time occasion, but a constant request, this day, our daily bread. And then he succeeds to lift up another critical aspect of human existence. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass or violate us. Knowing that there is demonic influence that operates under the power of our flesh that suggests to us that when someone violates us, rather than provide forgiveness to set them free, which would likewise set us free, 
reorient our motive and suggests retaliate so that we can engage not in spiritual advancement for divine kingdom, but spiritual warfare that takes place in the wickedness of high places. And then to even progress that suggestion, he closes with a line, and deliver us from evil. Could it likewise be that Jesus recognized that they will succeed in the provision of bread. They will come to recognize that you've got to work to have the provision of bread physically and spiritually. They will likewise succeed more often perhaps than they probably think in reference to forgiveness because they will come to realize in their relationship with me if you don't forgive them then I will not grant you the forgiveness that you are requesting of me. But they will struggle with the magnitude of evil that will be all around them. They might, e might not even recognize that evil will arrive in such hastened and in such influential fashion that evil will attempt to seize their life and take control of them. Now let me drop this in your spirit. I am not a believer that Christians can be possessed by a demonic spirit. And let me tell you why. Because if I understand anything about Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 tells me that my salvation, who I am in Christ, has been sealed. Now, let me take you back old school. Grandmama used to can back in the day. She used to put fruit in these mason jars. And when grandmama put fruit in the mason jar, it looks beautiful in the jar. But before she put that top on it, she would put that wax seal around the top. And by putting that wax seal on the top, when she slapped that top on, she said, baby, that can stay there for a long time. And then that being the case that that seal creates the longevity of that fruit's advancement, I got to argue that the God that I serve sealed me with the spirit that he sent through Jesus at the cross to redeem me and Paul said in Ephesians 1, I am sealed until the day of redemption. Now let me take you back old school. Whenever it came time for grandmama to open up that can of preserves for us with them biscuits, she pulled that top off. Then she pulled that seal off because it was now time for us to redeem the preserves that were inside the jar that we might enjoy the glory of what was in that jar. Let me fast forward. What Jesus did was he sealed us until the day of redemption. I just want you to know when he appears in the heavens and calls me up in what they call the rapture then that seal comes off and I'm on my way up because then Paul says this corruptible will put on incorruption and this mortality will put on immortality and I don't have to worry about nothing that happened before because everything that's coming now is that which is glorified in the heavens. Do I have a witness in this house who understand what it means to be sealed 
by the glory and power of God. Now that doesn't prohibit, that doesn't prohibit the evil spirit from attempting to possess me. But he can't live in the same house where the power of God lives because God is more powerful than that which is evil. And that's why I think Jesus prayed, Lord, deliver them, taught us, deliver us from evil. When you read the context of Mark chapter 9, I think it's very interesting that the religious officials who were supposed to be the interpreters not only of the civil law, but the religious law, has very little conversation beyond their interaction with the disciples as the other disciples descended from the Mount of Transfiguration. They often had a problem with deliverance from bondages and evil spirits and I think it's because they themselves were weak and they were powerless and they didn't understand divine intervention nor human desperation but they thought that everything could be fixed by a simple formula to which they found themselves adhering to one of the things that really got me when I began to read this story and study it more in depth was the suggestion by Henry Frankfurt, who is an American philosopher, who said that philosophers of the Americans' soil seem to have for centuries been centralizing their thought patterns around two particular thoughts that affect human life. The first being wrestling with what we call epistemology and philosophy and theology, and that simply is how do we discover the knowledge we need to attain, and more importantly, what do we believe once we, once we attain the knowledge? Then he said the second question we are still wrestling with has to do with what the Greeks called the ethos, or better said, the ethical strands which revolve around not only what do I believe, but how do I behave? How do I act once I find out what now I know I need to believe? But he raises a third consideration that we must look at, and I find that to be prevalent in this text, and that is not only what I should believe and how I should act, but what I should care for. If you overlook what you care for, then you become narcissistic and centralize your efforts mainly, primarily, in fact only really, on you. And when I look at this father, this father is elevating unto us the importance of why in communal settings like a church, and it underscores what the Pauline corpus tells us in reference to understanding the phrase one another, that it's important we understand that we need to care about other people instead of only ourselves. That's the reason why November the 6th, Tuesday, is extremely important because there are those whose voice has been silent. And it is silenced, been muted 
bind evil spirits. Sometimes executive order has done that. There's an executive order that's continually trying to silence voices around the country, and it now calls for those of us who have a voice to step forward to be heard. That's what the father did. He stepped out of the crowd because he had a voice that could be heard and stepped up to the one who could make a difference. Remember, he came to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't do anything with it, and when he saw Jesus there dialoguing with the religious officials, and when Jesus raised the question, why or what are you talking about? Why are you arguing about this thing? The man stepped forward as if he broke into the conversation and said, Jesus, here's the real problem. I brought my son to your disciples and tried to get them to understand my boy has been silenced. He's muted. He has no voice. In fact, Lord, I want to do better, but I need you to help me fight for my voice. That's what the father does. The father steps into the role and steps forward and says to the Lord Jesus, I, I tried your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. So I just want to know from you, can you help me fight for the voice of my son? And whether we want to admit it or not, that's what's happening on November 6th. There's folks who are crying out, I can't speak because I'm muted. But says Frankwood, we have to be sensitive enough and self-conscious enough of those who can't speak for themselves because they've been muted by economics and muted by political asylum and muted by circumstance that, don't want, that won't allow them to talk. But yet here we are walking in the liberation and freedom of God. God's divine glory, we better speak up for somebody because if we don't remember what goes around, comes around. And here he is, here he is. In this text, Jesus has something to do with evil spirits. He has the power to handle them. Notice when you read the gospel narratives, Jesus understands the importance of human, or should I say divine, intervention as he responds to human desperation. For this father and this boy, but mainly this boy, who is silent, is screaming out of desperation because if you read the narrative real closely, he's not agitated or possessed by the demon all the time. Notice the father says, every time the demon seizes him, it throws him to the ground and it attempts to tear his body to pieces and he in response foams at the mouth and his body becomes rigid, which means he doesn't come all the time, but when he does, he comes with a camaraderie of confusion. But Jesus knows the value of divine intervention. Notice when Jesus healed a paralytic, he looked at the religious officials who appeared to be powerless and even voiceless to some degree as the disciples and said to them, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? He says to them on another occasion, he posed this deep question, are you, or should I say, are your eyes evil and envious 
because I'm a generous God? Are you mad at me because I came to set them free? I'm only doing what you were giving power to do. But instead, you just sit by and try to transition their lives into what you would have them to be instead of allowing them to walk in what God designed for them to be. Or as Luke 7.21 says that Jesus, he healed and cured many diseases and difficulties and even evil spirits. But Jesus also knew that when the evil spirit is cast out, it won't just leave without an agenda. Because Jesus tells us right here in a text in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11 that when that evil spirit goes out, it will go out of a man passing through waterless places seeking rest. Let me stop right there. Good God from Zion. Now, so when he leaves out, demonic activity says, all right, I've been pushed out of this space, but because I know there are other weak saints and weak folks somewhere on the journey, and how do I know that? Look at the usage of the figurative of the language of the word waterless. See, you know, water, believe it or not, you just got to look at a few storms and tsunamis and you can see water got a lot of power. A lot of power. I mean, you can build the most sound structure and be careful because if enough water comes through, it will bring that structure right out of the ground. It has that much force and Satan says, I'm looking for waterless Christian symbolic. Christians who don't have the spirit operating in them at the full knowledge of their potential. <laughs> That's the reason why when you get filled with the spirit, you got to come back and be filled again because if you participate in weekly's journey, you keep on living, there are things that happen through the course of the week that will drain you of what you have. So I got to go back to church on Sunday morning and I got to say, Lord, I need a refill of your spirit because that's the reason why church is a refilling station where you come in here and get refilled with your joy and get refilled with your power and get refilled with your endurance and get refilled with your patience because you need to be refilled not just one time every week, every month, every day. I need your power, Lord. And Satan knows that if I get pushed out of one space, let me see if I can find a waterless space to rest. Now you got to understand what the word rest means because I'm not looking just to pass through, says Satan. I'm looking to build up shop that I may take resident when folk move in your house and they got your address and they bills come there and they phone is registered at your address, they in your house. They are residents of your house. And Satan says, I don't want to just come through, shake hands, tell the Christian, I'm just here to disturb you just a little bit, then I'm gone. Nope, I'm coming to set up shop because I'm going to do what Jesus warned you that I'm going to do. John 10.10, 10. the thief cometh not but for to steal 
to kill and destroy. I'm coming to do that, says Satan. And check this out. Listen to what Jesus says further in Mark 11, 24. Now, when he goes out and can't find rest, he says, what I will do is return back to my house from whence I have came. Now, see, you didn't catch that. I'm going back to my house. This ain't your house. Y'all missed it. This ain't your house, Satan. You're not coming back here, which is the reason why Jesus said on another occasion, when you fight a demon, you got to fight him because if you're not careful, he'll come back with seven times that which he left out with. I'm just here to tell you, demonic spirits Evil spirits are real. It's not just something in the text. It's a reality of the text. And here it is. Jesus says when you go out, you're going to come back. Because demons come to attack us. I'm just going to list for you five. But there are many ways five. One, physical ailments. Well, Job chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 tells us that it was the devil who put those physical ailments, those boils on Job's life. And might I add, God, and I'm going to tell you at the end of the sermon, God will permit that to happen. Did y'all hear me? I said God will permit that to happen. But there's a reason. There's a reason. I'm going to tell you in a minute. There's a reason. The second thing that Satan does is he comes by demonic spirit to create mental impairment. So read Mark chapter 5. There's a man there who's up living in the tombs with dead folk whose mental capacity has been affected by an evil spirit. So much so that people walk by and look up at the graveyard and they become so accustomed to the man's life, they just look and say, oh, that's just, that's just Lee, that's that crazy fool. He just live up there with dead people. But here it is. He's got a demon in. He's crying out, but no one is hearing him because his cry is muted. You can audibly hear him, but when you are not sensitive, to the call of someone else's problem, it's actually a mute call. Did you get that? Did you hear what I said? When you're not sensitive to other people's issues, they're crying out, but it's a mute call because I'm not hearing them. And I'm not hearing them by choice. Mental impairment. There's some people I wonder if they're suffering with mental impairment now, even as Christians. If the enemy has not gotten into their mind to the point where it's twisted. Now, how did that happen? By my next point, the spread of false doctrine. Read 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, and it tells us that there will be deceitful spirits using deceitful means to lead people away from the word of God. I'm just trying to tell you the devil, Grandmama said the devil is busy. But then there's a fourth one. Spiritual warfare. You know that. Ephesians 6.11 says, in, this, in this, this war that we have, we wrestle not against human interaction. See, then you go back to what Jesus says, deliver us from evil. It's not the human interaction, but something is influencing the human interaction or the evil, evil presence. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, against governments, authorities, against cosmic powers, evil wickedness in high places. But then there's that fifth, and that's where we come to this text, actual possession. Possessing this boy's life enough where he comes in and he goes out. Because the possession is really about volitional rejection of God and volitional acceptance of Satan. See, the enemy wants to attack first who God is. And God is the very image of who you are. We call that in the Latin as well as the Hebrew, the Imagi Dei. That means that because I'm created in the image of God, Satan says I want to attack the image of who God is in this person because if I can do that, I will then work to mute their spirit by disfiguring who they are physically. Physical illness. I can disconnect their spirit to God by using discouragement to inform them that God doesn't care about where they are. And I can further humiliate them if I can get a deep-rooted seat into their heart and their psyche to dehumanize them and to make them disappointed in the non-protection of God. See, read the story. But Jesus raises the most critical question that could ever be raised in the story. When he, the man tells him about his son's action and then tells him about his son's reaction, Jesus has one question, and I'm done after I tell you this. Here's his question. How long has he been this way? Because I'm convinced that you are struggling with wickedness in high places because you're tolerating it. See, you have been merely allowing Satan to influence your mind, not recognizing that wickedness is going to come no matter where you turn. Have you noticed no matter which angle you turn in the world, there's always something bad going on. It's going to happen, but if you centralize all of your attention on that, you've just given that wickedness power in your space. So you've tolerated what Satan has done. And the Father's trying to tell us there comes a time when you have to simply... Here, here's my joy about the Father. The Father doesn't camouflage his son's condition. He, he, don't, he don't do like you and I do. Jesus says, how long has it been this way? He just got like that, Lord. I don't know what happened to this boy. I mean, it just happened overnight. No, it didn't. Jesus said, how long has it been this way? And the father says, since he was a little boy, 
Why? Because God says if you really want deliverance, then you got to be honest with me about where you are right now in this spiritual warfare. Do you remember when Jesus was working with the man in John chapter 5 and he sees the man by the pool of Bethesda, goes there and said to him, do you really want to walk? And what does the man respond? The man says, well, here it is, Lord. Every time I try to make it down to the river, somebody beats me ahead and I can't get my deliverance. Jesus says, I don't want to hear that. That's unnecessary. In fact, that's not the question that I asked you. I said, do you want to be made whole? And maybe somebody today, Jesus is asking, do you want to be made whole? Are you tired of being sick and tired of being defeated where you are? Are you ready to get up from where you are and reverse your life and go in a different direction? Are you tired of your voice being silent? Are you tired of not speaking up and telling everybody I know in whom I serve and in whom all blessings flow? Or are you going to keep giving God excuse after excuse after excuse? And God says, I just want to know how long have you been the way that you are? And here he is. He's honest. He doesn't try to paint over it. He doesn't get spiritual. He simply says, Lord, he's been this way a long time. One of the reasons why our chilling are the way that they are is because we keep trying to camouflage. Well, you know, we can't quite get him. He, he don't have good days. He got good days and bad days. We can't get him to speak. Three years old, he can't speak. We can't get him to speak. He won't speak. There's some times when he will. We just, we just don't know. I know. Two things. One, you ought to snatch that Negro in his collar and tell him this is the way you gon' act. And number two, speak over his life. Because I'm convinced that the father in this text was disturbed because maybe he spoke Deuteronomy 6, which was about speaking life over the life of his child. And he was declaring, wait a minute, the picture that I'm getting out of my son ain't lining up with what I read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he has to keep on speaking it. And he says, I took him to church and they couldn't do nothing, but I ain't going to stop going because they couldn't do nothing. I'm going to take him to the Lord of the church and find out just exactly what God is going to do in this situation. And one reason why we have challenges is because we are not speaking the word. We are camouflaging. And the father didn't camouflage. In other words, the father said, I'm not going to tolerate this in my son's life any longer. I'm tired of seeing my son act like this. And here's a prophetic word for you. You will never break the demonic cord in your life until you get tired of being agitated by evil. Then you'll break the cord. Because Jesus will ask, have you got tired yet? Because God knows until you get tired, you'll stay where you are. You won't do anything to change that condition because you become complacent and comfortable where you find yourself living at. So the man progresses in the story after listening to Jesus at least was honest with himself and God and said to Jesus when Jesus responded, oh, it's not a question of if 
I can do anything. Remember the man said, here it is, Jesus, if, if you can do anything for us, have mercy on us and help us. And Jesus took the if clause away and said, it ain't about me. It's about whether or not you can believe. Did you catch that? It's about if you can believe. And maybe that's where you are right now. You, you, you know, here it is, there's a track record of God in your life in which he has come through and delivered you and worked with you and opened doors for you in many situations. And now you are faced with an issue larger than you are and you are raising to God, Lord, if you love me, Lord, if you got the power, and God responds, if I got, do I have to do you like I did your fellow brother Joe and remind you who created all this, remind you who puts you together, and remind you what you made of, dust of the earth? And when I made you your dusty self, I spoke life into you, and I breathed into you the breath of life and you notice the text says you became a living you were nothing but dust that's all you was dust bowl until i breathe into you my and that's why satan attacks the image because that's an attack on god but in doing so god says it's not me it's not if i is if you. Here's my, here's my closing point, then I'm done. Here's the, here's the thing. This freaked me out, Dr. George. I, I kept reading, I kept saying, hold on. There's something wrong with this picture. Here it is. Look closely in verse 25 at clause A. Here it is, here it is. This text blew me away. I kept reading and kept reading, and then I realized, hold on, Jesus is doing something that he's done previously. He's in this delayed gratification business. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I'm not interested in God putting me on the waiting list. I don't want my prayer answered tomorrow or next week or next month or six, from, six months from now or next year. I don't even want to wait if I'm not even prepared for the blessing. I still want it right now. But look what Jesus did. Look at clause A of verse 25. The Bible says that when Jesus saw that the crowd of the onlookers were growing. That's it. That's it. Stop right there. When he looked around and discovered that there were more and more people coming around to witness his dialogue with this man about his son. And I got to thinking, wait a minute. He did that before. He sure did. When the woman of Nain was in the funeral possession with her son on the way to bury him, but there was a crowd around him and her, Jesus stopped right then, right in the presence of all the crowd, and raised that boy back to life and gave him back to his mother. But here's the good one. When the woman who had the bent back for 18 years 
in that condition because of an evil spirit came in the church when the crowd had gathered Jesus healed her body and straightened her back up and I got to thinking why why the crowd because Jesus says in the crowd I'm planning for future disciples see because I know in the crowd not everybody believes in me I know in the crowd, not everybody trusts that I'm able. I know that in the crowd, not everybody believes that I got the power to set you free. But more importantly, I'm wrestling with your spirit because you got some doubt in your mind right now. But I'm going to go past you just for the moment. I'm looking at future preachers and future theologians and future lawyers and future doctors and future entrepreneurs. They all in the crowd, but they need some convincing evidence that I'm able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I can ask a thing. So God will sometime let that sickness come on you because when the crowd gathers around he gonna bring you out of that darkness and bring you out of that sickness and bring you out of that malady and bring you up from that town rotten position and then folk gonna ask you, we didn't think that you was gonna make it and all you gotta do is look up and say I know you didn't think I was gonna make it but I serve a God who's got hands so magnificent and who got power to change and change and change and change and to lift me up every single time and to reverse my life. Is there any witnesses in the house? You are a living testimony that he raised you up, that he turned you around, that he reversed your sickness. You might not thought you were going to make it, but here you are in the house of worship celebrating, honoring, rejoicing, giving God glory because God waited for the crowd to get all around you. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs>